And we're live, uh, back with our second episode. Uh, I'm here with, uh, with Ophir. Um, Ophir, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm fantastic. And it's uh, another day in paradise. It's <laughs> only, I'll tell you, it's only 14 degrees outside today. So wow. I'll really come this year, yeah? Wow. Yeah. Tell me, uh, Ophir, I wanted to, I was going to ask you, uh, what do you think about uh, uh, what's happening out with uh, the new infrastructure bill? You know what? That's a great question. And the question is, is it even going to go through? Now, if it does go through, it's going to be a, a game changer in the U.S. infrastructure market. Now, why do I say that? It's finally looking at all the different items of renewal and all the different maintenance items which have been pushed back over the years. And unfortunately, everything has really bubbled to the surface of issues, yeah. including uh, the burial of aerial infrastructure for the benefit of the nation, including, for example, the PG&E burial of, uh, of their aerial uh, transmission lines. Yeah, I saw there's a, there was a whole section uh, about yeah. that, like describing the project to, to the last detail, if I'm not mistaken. And one of the biggest things I really find interesting in, in within the whole, within the actual whole infrastructure bill is uh, the focus on roads and transportation and major transportation projects. So, for example, the train initiative, as we know, Joe Biden was called the Amtrak president. Uh, that is because when he was in Congress, he used to go back and forth from his constituency back to uh, back to uh, Washington every day, back and forth. So really amazing how he, he, the president of the United States, currently used the transportation infrastructure. And a great segue for uh, transportation is my good friend Stephen McCauley. Stephen is actually the Vice President of Transportation from uh, Global Remax Surveys. So, Stephen, hey. welcome. I appreciate you. Stephen, uh, great to have you here. Thanks for having me. Oh, our pleasure. Stephen comes from the feral land of Alberta, Canada. Uh, I believe he just lives right, out of, right outside of Calgary, which is one of the largest metropolitan cities in Alberta and growing. He's in a uh, smaller community just outside, but really on the cusp of uh, 22X. I believe that was called the Highway of Death at one point. <laughs> you can call it whatever you want. There's been a lot, lot, lot worse names for it. <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, that, that highway actually went through a large transportation infrastructure renewal and rebuild. They put a lot of uh, traffic circles in, and they really did a great job rebuilding that highway to accommodate all the uh, the traffic and all the uh, and to mitigate all the accidents that were actually there. So really incredible. So, Stephen, do you want to give us a few words about yourself in, uh, in a couple sure. of seconds? Uh, as, as you mentioned, I'm with Global Raymax Surveys. I'm the Vice President of Transportation as well as Infrastructure, overseeing uh, the growth of the company on uh, the construction survey side. So, been heavily involved over my, my 23, 24 years in the survey side of the industry from building massive infrastructure across, across Canada. I started back in Prince Edward Island as Ophir would joke, growing potatoes, and I, I grew up from there. <laughs> so it's uh, it's been a, a career move out west, I want to say. I've been been in Western Canada for 20 years. Uh, I've lived in British Columbia, Alberta, as well as Saskatchewan. But uh, just outside of Calgary is, is definitely home. So here I am. Fantastic. No, that's, that's, that's amazing. Now, Stephen, I, I know that... Uh, I'm gonna ask you a few personal questions here, and you're, you're gonna, you're gonna, we're gonna see which way you go on these, all right? All right, golf or hockey? What's that uh, number golf. one thing? 
There we go. Yeah. Talking from the serving and engineering world. Where do most of the deals get done? On the golf course. On the golf course. <laughs> All right. You ready yeah. for this? The keg or Casey's? Oof. Or even, you know what, for, for you Westerners, the keg or oh, girls? keg. Uh, depending on the day. Which, whichever's got cheaper wine. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to go for another one. Glenn Livitz or Jameson? Uh, McCollin. Oh, there we go, McCallan. Yeah. And of course, McCallan, McCauley, uh, it sounds familiar. Bottle behind me. I, I just put some coffee in my whiskey. <laughs> Wait, did you just say you just put some coffee yes, in did. your whiskey? <laughs> All right, well, it's it's a little bit early, but that's okay. <laughs> like you said, it's 7 p.m. somewhere. Wait, David, what time is it with you today, right now? Uh, it's 7, uh, 7 p.m. here. So, uh, you know what? You missed not the hour. What's going on? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so myself and Stephen have a. Uh, we've known each other professionally, and also, uh, well, we, we've we've uh, done a lot of things on the uh, on the community side. And what do I mean by that? Uh, unfortunately, Stephen is somebody who likes to volunteer for things, which I I volunteer him for. <laughs> so I don't know if you all know me, but I'm involved in a lot of different infrastructure organizations. And I like to get a lot of the broad range people involved. And Stephen, can you talk about some of the involvement of uh, some of the committees I've gotten you into in the last Stuff couple of years? Stuff you've told me to join? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't even know where to begin. <clears throat> um, it's, uh, there's quite a, quite a few associations, but UESI and, um, is the more active one that I'm involved with on, on your front. Um, nowhere is near the level of involvement of you with the multiple organizations you're you're out there with but just really cut my teeth to to get into those those groups and and understand more as well as share knowledge is uh is the key importance of those from what i what i see after starting with you off here i appreciate that Stephen. is there any personal motto or you know the the, the home crest or anything that the Macaulay's live by that you can share? Uh, the slogan is uh, live free or die. <laughs> <laughs> well, that sounds more like a, like a, a Mel Gibson movie. <laughs> this tattoo, this tattoo, my family crest is tattooed on my back, so it's uh, right there. There you go. <laughs> okay. All right, so uh, any personal notes? Like, I, I know that the way we met the uh, just Stephen is such an outgoing personality and a, a vibrant personality. I know the way we met. Do you want to tell everyone how we uh, came about our professional relationship? Oh, jeepers. Uh, many moons ago, previous career, uh, we were standing out front of a hotel Marriott downtown, I believe, next to the keg. And uh, yeah. I was on my phone, you were on your phone, and saw my previous employer's uh, logo on the back of my phone. And that was the start of this relationship. <laughs> Classical Classical yeah. Being outgoing and always looking for an opportunity to network. Yeah. So the funny thing was we were, we were actually talking about technology yeah. and uh, the evolution of technology. And I had just come back from Israel from a, uh, a project which I did on uh, with a few uh, different pieces of uh, very 
very integrated and very uh, modern technology for uh, for the utility engineering world. And it's really interesting the way that these items actually converge together. So really amazing. So Stephen, in terms of personal aspirations, do you have anything that uh, you want to share with us? You know where you're going, what you're doing, and uh, never take my foot off the gas. <laughs> uh, there we go. So I started what really got me into the industry to, to follow suit with what you just touched on Ophir's technology. Um, it was in 1997. Uh, I was just graduating high school. My first summer job was a survey assistant and I got to work on the Confederation bridge that spans from Prince Edward on New Brunswick. Wow. And it's quite the bridge. It's 13 kilometers long. Um, it is phenomenal, phenomenal infrastructure. And I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. Uh, graduated high school, of course, and then uh, loved playing with Lego as a child. Loved, loved the, the design side, the engineering side. My, my math skills were always strong. So I, uh, I went to university for engineering um, after that first summer job because I learned what surveying was and I said, how, how do I do this for my career? I want to play with these cool tools that these guys are doing. And when you walk away from a site, you're proud of what you built. And that was just the, the start of my brain spinning and, uh, yeah, followed suit with that surveyed on and off through school until I finished and then moved out West and I surveyed in the oil and gas industry for several years. Um, and then when they were starting Northeast Stony Trail, the ring road around Calgary, um, that's when, that's when I was like, okay, I, I got to get back into the infrastructure world because oil and gas is great. <clears throat> it's good money for paying off your student loans, but to, to walk away from a lease or a pipeline, it's kind of, uh, okay, that's cool. I, I did that. But when you walk away from a, a massive interstate with multiple interchanges. It's like, yeah, I built that. <laughs> so the, I think we all can relate. Yeah. And, yeah. and so that was kind of like the, the snowball rolling down the hill. And I, I started pursuing bigger, bigger opportunities within the companies that I've worked with to try and get on the massive infrastructure and put the right people on it, maintain those relationships. Um, just keep growing because the infrastructure is never enough in this country in particular. Um, and the stuff that is in place, as Ophir can relate to in, in Quebec, some of it's extremely dated. Um, so the, the career path to stay with the infrastructure side is it's, it's, a, it's never ending, right? So there's always money to be spent because it's needed with the population growth, with the urban sprawl. There's, there's always, always work to be done and satisfying work when you walk away from it with that sense of accomplishment. Stephen, I'm going to ask you about the, uh, your favorite location across Canada, which you've worked or even in the world. And I know you've worked right across Canada, but where is that one place which really did it for you? That's a great question. Um, the, the most scenic and enjoyable is definitely in Prince Edward Island. Um, it's 
never a bad day in the summer there because when you're done, you're on the beach. <laughs> but, <laughs> but just with, with respect to um, the work and, and the scenery, definitely Prince Edward Island um, with the, the sense of workload and um, pace, probably Calgary or Edmonton um, on either the either of the ring roads, some of the LRTs, it's been definitely satisfying to, like I said, walk away from that job. And my kids hate it because they're driving and they're like, oh, dad surveyed that bridge. Oh, dad surveyed this road. Dad surveyed that bridge. I'm, I'm that guy. <laughs> do you yeah. have that, uh, do you have that, uh, uh, that, that's, that surveyor season or that locator to these, when you're walking, Anywhere in the world, you start looking for uh, benchmarks and survey points, and uh, you know, locate signs. And, and do you have that issue? Like you're in Dominican Republic, and all of a sudden you see a, a cut cross. Do you actually look at it and try to decipher what the actual, you know, what it is? <laughs> Funny story. Um, I went for my bachelor party to Las Vegas some years ago, and we were walking the strip. And the Las Vegas survey monuments are pretty fancy. Like they're brass caps. They're they got to be the size of a compact disc, right? And they've got the the stereotype of that Las Vegas sign is is in the center of it. So I'm down there. I got my DSLR. I'm about you know ten centimeters above it. I'm on my knees, focusing in full macro mode. And I've got one of one of my best friends is a surveyor. The other guy was a lawyer. The other guy, like we we're all sitting there. And they were all staring around. And by the time I finished taking my photo, there was a bunch of people standing around me wondering what the hell I was doing. <laughs> so, so I get up and they're like, what's that? I was like, well, sit down. Let me tell you. <laughs> but I mean, even, even through Cuba, through Sweden, like everywhere I've been, you're always sizing them up. Like the, the biggest amount of them I've ever seen is in through Seattle, like that, that city's constantly moving. So they're always looking for deformation surveys and every street corner, all the way down the sidewalks. It's, it's quite enjoyable to pick them out. And even my girls now, they know, they know what they are. <laughs> yeah. that's, uh, that's incredible. Yeah. In, in terms of your growth in the industry, in terms of your growth with the technology, I know that you've always been a progressive, uh, progressive gentleman within your uh, organizations. And change has always been a hard thing. What has been your number one go-to to actually advance the use of new technology? Number one go-to in what respect? In terms of how do you convince your higher-ups, hey, there's a new technology. Hey, there's a new uh, a new 360 photogrammetry system. Hey, okay. there's a new mobile lighting system. How do you get them to actually, you know, bite the, uh, bite the proverbial apple of knowledge? Well, it's... You got to get the, to use your words, the buy-in. Um, they, the people that I enjoy working with are people that understand technology, and the leaders of the industry are always on the forefront of trying to get, you know, that that next step. Early adopters. Um, I mean, with our with our UAV program, our drone program, whatever acronym you want to throw in there, present day, it's always revolving. Um, we adopted that about 10 years ago. Now we've got, I think, 54 drones in our fleet. Um, we've automated a ton of processing that we've poured 
our own money into to, you know, when the boys finish their day, it hits the server. It's automated processing registration, and then the final step is is the QAQC. So, as a company, we're very progressive on, on the technology side. So, I'm not going to say I have to sell any of that to my higher ups because they get the success that we've had over the last number of years with advanced technology. Um, some people out there don't like technology because they feel that it's taken away man hours in the field. And our, our kind of internal group says, you know, well, if we don't do it, somebody else will. And then you have no revenue. So we've always been looking at the, I'm not going to say that next shiny object when the time is right and the technology is refined then it's time to pull the trigger. Um, but to, to jump in early is definitely what we do. Um, to be kind of that out front model, really. In terms of your uh, ability to sell to the clients, how do you convince a client, I have a new shiny toy, I want to use it on your project. What, what is that next step which you take? It's very tough in uh, this industry for sure. Um, because it's so new, the, the 80, 20 rule, um, some of the, some of the crowd understands the technology. Uh, the biggest one is the efficiency gains that you get with less field time, better data, more refined results that allows them to engineer their design better. So without getting too, too technical, you're, you're capturing everything at one site visit versus multiple trips with a portion, tiny portion of the data versus conventional methodology. There's still a time and a place for conventional surveys. I mean, that's never going to disappear when you're, when you're working on a structure like a bridge, you, you can't get away from conventional total stations and, and levels, right? You're, when you're chasing millimeters, you have to chase millimeters, but with the advanced tools for, an example of like driving our mobile mapping LIDAR system, um, it's, we're looking at a, a few projects in the hopper right now, some that we've executed. One of them is in Vancouver on the Broadway subway project. Um, a team from, team from Italy with Gala had approached us about using our, our technology because they, they've successfully used mobile LIDAR in a project overseas. They understand the value. They understand that we're not closing lanes. We're not putting people at risk. Um, and the data is, I, I like to coin it. Like we're going to give you everything and you can extract what you need because we're not designers. We're data collectors. So if we give you everything, then you can take out what you want. Um, previously to these advanced sensors, remote sensor, um, you'd go out there and you'd pick up what the designers asked for and they'd be, you know, 30% through design. Like, darn it. We need this, this, and this boom. There's a delay. You're sending a crew back to the field to pick up maybe three catch basins or whatever they, whatever they got into. Um, so the people that have used the advanced technology that understand it, see the efficiency gains, um, with respect to schedule, because when you stall a project on design, there's a lot of people sitting around 
and that's not free. So if you're talking to the right people that understand it and see those benefits, it's not a tough sell. Um, it's, it's more. Who do you see are the more the more progressive people on the design side that are open to the uh, to these emerging technologies? Like who 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 are normally the decision makers in the organization that are willing to take? Uh, I don't know if risk is the right term, but uh, um, are willing to challenge uh, their liability issues. The challenge the norm. That's a great challenge. The norm. Exactly. Um, typically, it's the construction manager, project manager level. Um, procurement doesn't understand it at all. Uh, they're just <laughs> looking for numbers. And that's yeah. where you lose a lot of work because you're, you're trying to give them value add. And if you can talk to the right people in advance, you get it. But those, those people are, are the ones that are on the tech side of the design. They're on the construction management side. They understand the value of the tools and systems as well as the safety. We're, we're huge on safety. We've got 75, 76 survey crews going up every day. So we've saved paramount in our company. Um, but the, to answer your question, it's typically the 28 to 35 year old group that is, I'm not going to call them gamers, but they, they're, they're that mentality. You know what I mean? They're, they're tech savvy, yeah. definitely tech yeah. savvy people. They understand the three dimensional world. Um, of the problems that we can solve uh, with with those tools, and they they can influence their higher ups to say this is this is what we need. Look at what it can save us here, here, and here. Look at we we don't have schedule delays. We're going to deliver on time, and we're not getting anybody sitting on the side of the highway trying to survey paint lines. Yeah. Right? Are they having any success convincing? Uh, quite a few, actually. Um, I mean, we were over at uh, the Regina Bypass. It is a province, province next door, Saskatchewan. Um, their city, they just built a massive ring road around. And for the owner's engineer, they asked us to do the final as-built of it with our mobile mapping system because we were able to get in and out in one full day. It was about 600 kilometers of driving we did to hit every lane, um, but we didn't have to stop traffic. We didn't have bodies on the side of the road that were, you know, measuring the heights of the bridge, shooting over here, shooting over there. You know, like that that risk. We we're in a pickup truck just driving, and one day we collect. It was a long friggin' day. Don't get me wrong. A uh, <laughs> lot, lot of driving, couple tanks of gas, but uh, it. It, it was a success story there, which opened the eyes because that was that deliverable went to the Ministry of Transportation for that province. And their systems on the final as built in their documentation were written in the late 80s. Actually, I, I have a copy of it. And it's like, what you're going to do? What now? No, 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 no. Like someone, someone needs to step it up here. Um, so... I want to say we changed the game quite a bit for them right there. And, and we were able to deliver exactly what they wanted. And then some like a lot more, a lot more. 
So it's, I know it's going to sound like an abstract question, but I'm just thinking about the millions of points. Yes. That come in from, you know, from, from one scan. Yeah. How do you even start fathoming the amount of data that's in there? Like, I, it just blows my mind. You know, for each point, every time, every second your laser is going, that's millions of points everywhere. What do you do with all that data? Uh, you, you go blind. <laughs> uh, it's, it's pretty slick with respect to the software nowadays. Um, I can't speak to 20 years ago because I wasn't involved in laser scanning back then. Um, however, the, the system that we're driving is picking up 2.4 million points per second. So a lot, a lot of data. However, if we're driving a highway and we're picking up, you know, if, if the client is just looking for the pavement for, you know, the lane lines, crown, edge of pavement, we can, we can crop, if you will, that data set to, you know, buffer just outside with some automated tools within the systems to be able to, because they'll shoot 250 meters out, right? So you don't need all that noise out there. You just focus in on what you need. And then from there, you can actually decimate it down some so it's a usable file because most people don't have the horsepower on a laptop or a desktop to even handle that data. Um, sure. So, yeah, I, I don't think Saskatchewan has quantum computing yet. So. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for, for comparison, I mean, if we're doing 90 kilometers an hour or 100 kilometers an hour, we're picking up per square meter. Everyone's from, well, we're familiar with LiDAR, but airborne LiDAR, you get four to eight points per square meter, depending on their systems. With the mobile scanner that we have, depending on how fast you go, you're getting 2,800 to 8,700 points per square meter. So you're picking up oh. the cracks, you're picking up the rutting, you're picking up pebbles, right? So it, it definitely can, it can, it can bog a computer down if you're not careful. <laughs> I recall we did a couple of projects where, uh, just so everyone knows, myself and Stephen worked on a few really progressive projects over the years. And the funny thing is, with all the projects which we've done together, it's always been a client who's wanted quality over quantity. And it's really been a QBS, quality-based selection, on almost every project I've worked with Stephen over the years. And uh, it really took a progressive client to understand what he was getting and where he was going with it. But... Can your mobile mapping system also pick up those paint marks on the ground, like uh, the Sioux marks per se, or the Sioux flags, and integrate that that into your survey? Absolutely. If you can see it with your eye, we can we can shoot it, um, and the, you can toggle the sensors to go for ref, reflectivity. So, of course, matte black asphalt, and you got fluorescent orange paint. It. Yeah. It stands out pretty quick if you when you're when you're looking at it because it's all by the intensity. So it's it's pretty easy to to pick all that up. The flags, um, I mean, unless there's a a stiff wind blowing straight across and you're driving this way, and but, but the, the way the lasers yeah. are actually dialed in, you're you're going to hit it. Um, and then then you can actually extract that information and, and put those designations in in a CAD file right so it's uh, have you done anything lately like that or have you uh, have, do you have any projects you want to talk about where you've integrated different technologies including your mobile LiDAR like have you taken anything and really taken it to that next level of integrating different 
technologies together? We're about to, I had a phone call last evening um, with a client. Project will remain nameless at this point in time due to NDAs. Um, they're going to fly it with airborne LiDAR for the vast swath um, to look at the major drainage. Then we're going to supplement that with um, the mobile LiDAR on the roadways in this area of interest, as well as uh, they're looking at getting um, the mantles and, and catch basins, the inverts pulled for the next phase of, of this project. So we'd be able to take airborne, mobile, as well as conventional survey work um, to integrate into one platform, one file um, that has definitely different sensors and tools used to combine into that one file. Um, there's, there's a couple that we've been in pursuit of that have integrated multiple forms of survey. Um, I, I recall a, uh, a large, uh, a large uh, gas facility where you integrated quite a few things together. Uh, yeah, that's in Hardesty, Alberta, Canada. <laughs> uh, worked with worked with yourself um, in your previous life, and we executed one phenomenal deliverable to the client. Um, and we we took a UAV or a drone to fly site to get fresh air photos. Then we integrated laser scanning of the area of interest. And then we had conventional surveyors out working with your team, Ophir, to collect the underground utilities. And we delivered a three-dimensional model um, above and below ground that was, I'd say, it's rivals anything else out there on the market. And it was a phenomenal, phenomenal deliverable. And the client was blown away because if you, if you can give them a 3D model that's above and below ground, with the professionals like your team of here to get, I mean, surveyors, we hate locating pipe We're we didn't go to school for that. I didn't go to school for that. Uh, and we're not good at it because we don't do it day in, day out. So when you can integrate a Sioux company to a survey team, you get quite the deliverable when you've got, you do your job, you do yours. It matches very nicely and that that technology um, and the the teaming that went on on that project were was quite the undertaking so one thing i'm thinking from everything you're saying here it's really interesting you're saying even though we've gone become so modern and everything now is done video cast podcast zoom it's still about that interpersonal connection 100%. within all the different within all the different disciplines and still it's that, that that personal connection still which drives business, right? No. Yep. It, it's all about the teams and and who you know that can do it, right? So, and that's that's the fun in my role is when when we land the next project, it's like okay, well, I know this person's good at that, that person's good at that. There's the team, and then when we run into situations or clients that we were just talking about, Ophir, um, to know. Okay, I know your problem. I know how to solve it. I can't solve it myself, but as a team, we can solve it. And it's it's very much 
the industry now to, to bring those experts together that are honed in on their area of expertise, uh, their, their industry, whatever, whatever term you want to throw in there. It's definitely all about, don't, don't over promise. Right? Yeah. So I, I don't know if you're, uh, if I'm dating myself, but do you remember the, uh, the Motorola StarTech phone? Oh, I, I can pull one out of my closet right now if you want me Excellent. to. <laughs> I'm going to ask a question really related to this. So that phone was actually originated apparently in Star Trek way back then in the, uh, you know, the 70s. And, uh, uh, and you know, just the vision of that, of what it was and how it, how it evolved into the little flip phone. You know, they, they imagined it, they put it out there, and you know, all of a sudden, 20, 20 something years later, it's a reality with that little flip phone. Right. Do you see anything? Now, out of science fiction today that you see coming forward as that next that next piece of technology that you're going to want and everyone's going to have to have. We talking like stupid science fiction here? Hey, the floor is yours. <laughs> uh, a set of goggles or glasses similar to like a VR headset that can actually penetrate the earth to see underground utilities. You know what? That that's been a common theme in our in our podcast. So that's really interesting. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. Department. Let's let's get that going. Yeah, yeah let's talk with them about it. Yeah. Let, let's back that out. We'll put some <laughs> IP down here and. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's it, it's really been a it's been a theme that a lot of people have been saying that. So it's really it's incredible how so many people in the industry from different backgrounds, like we've had an academic. We have a professional field. We have a couple more professors. We have a couple more different people, and everyone's going to that same direction of that, of that uh, visual cue. Yeah, so really amazing. Well, it's absolutely. If if you have a good model, whether it's you know combining an SUE company with a survey company, and you can actually render that data and model it, then you can get the augmented reality, so you can see that. But there's a lot of work that goes in the forefront to develop that model. It's really, really nice when it's completed, but the ability on the, the Star Trek level is to just throw those goggles on and be able to yeah. see it without any work on the front end, right? So I don't know. If Musk can develop it, then that'd be something. But <laughs> there we go. Uh, uh, tag him in this podcast as well, so maybe I'll contact him. <laughs> Stephen, uh, tell me, um, we've been talking about all these uh, awesome technologies, but what, what do you see at the moment are the biggest challenges of the industry that technology just isn't solving at the moment? Like, the, it's just, we're not, we're not where we should be. Oh, that's a phenomenal question that I was... Deep question, deep question. Sorry to be so heavy. <laughs> um, manpower, person power, people power. For uh, what? Knowledge. Like, what way there's it, it's a real struggle right now for us and my competitors as a whole to find skilled people out there because everyone's a surveyor <laughs> um, but to be good at it and actually want to do it is a different story um, there's there's I'm not gonna say kids coming out of school um, there's people coming out of school that are, they could be 23, they could be 43, um, that 
have an expectation of just going to work for a crazy high rate of pay um, with zero experience. They don't want to get the experience. They just want the money because their father or their brother-in-law, somebody, somebody's done this. But the, the real challenge is skilled labor um, in particular Western Canada right now. Um, there was a lot of people that were flying from Atlanta, Canada, even Ontario West. And then when uh, COVID hit and the isolation period, we would have to pay for, you know, two weeks in a hotel plus the meals before they could actually go to work. Um, and as a result, the companies weren't paying for that because it was a phenomenal burden. A lot of the talent pool just got out of the industry as a whole. I don't know the percentages. That would be a very cool metric to understand. Um, I'd throw a dart at the board, 30% of hmm. the talent pool. Um, wow. Wow, that's staggering. That, that might be a stretch. I, I can't quantify that. Um, yeah. But there's there's a lot of people that just got out, out of it. They were they were sick of the, the ripple, right? I mean, the oil and gas industry around the globe is always up and down, depending on multiple variables we won't get into. <laughs> um, but the the when the money's good on the oil and gas industry, it's really, really good. Um, but when it's down, it's layoffs and, you know, kind of throw it. Yeah. Yeah. And you're leaving the keys in your pickup truck, calling whatever brand say, come pick it up. Uh, you know, yeah. there's, that's, that's actually happened. So those people that were sick of the, the ripple effect just got out of the industry, stayed home and found a job that's consistent, right? Sure. It might not be that crazy rate of pay, but at least it's stable. And that's been a real struggle in Western Canada right now to find, replace that talent. Really. Well, what are we doing to, to tackle this? Like uh, both from a, I'd say a value perspective and both from a tool perspective, because we can't just, like, we're not going to stop, right? So, no. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a, uh, an education piece that we need to get out to students at a young age. And, and teach them about the industry um, and and the value that they bring to the world. Because yeah. right now it's... Seeing those intersections you talked about before. Yeah, yep. It's it's quite something right now to see see the world as it is with... And it, it's not just Western Canada. I mean, there's you guys have colleagues, friends around the world, I'm sure, that you're hearing about the same thing, but the, the skilled staff and smart individuals that are needed in multiple industries just aren't there. That's the number one problem. It's really ironic that we, we build such a network up and we want to fulfill our destiny by actually taking and you know developing the youth, but then we treat them so poorly right. when you know, the times are bad. So it's, it's, those ebbs and flows are really what puts the shock in the system. So yeah. one thing I've seen also, and I'm going to ask you about this right now. What is the diversity like? Like, have you seen the work become very PC and diversified? And I know that's a, a key term, especially in uh, Western Canada, PC, not the progressive conservatives, but politically correct. <laughs> I know it's, it's been, it was a man's world in a old boys club. So what has changed there? 
over the last um, 10 years? My first, when I started as a survey assistant, my first party chief was a woman. Um, and I don't know how many people at my company, the, the ratio, but there's a lot of women in the industry. And I, I don't know what it would take to gain more women versus men, but the stereotype, of course, in the construction side of the world is always it's, you know, the big burly men chain smoking, sipping a coffee, leaning on a shovel, right? <laughs> um, those, those days don't exist. You, you do that, you're skidded pretty quick, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, but there's, there's definitely quite a few women within our group um, out in the field that love it, right? So um, I think it's a it's the way they grew up. Do they like the outdoors? Can they handle the cold? Can they handle the heat? Yeah. Um, and if they are outdoorsy people, um, either sex, then it's a friggin' cool industry. Yeah, to be in. yeah. But it's, it's definitely, uh, outside of your brain, you, you need the capacity to do the work, but outside of that, you genuinely have to like the outdoors and be able to handle, you know, there's the old running joke is the surveyors are made of sugar because we don't work in the rain, right? <laughs> it's, uh, it's not that. It's, you can't, can't get anything accomplished in the rain. <laughs> but Steven, can, you, uh, can you give me that one project which defined your entire career so far? Confederation Bridge. Confederation no. Bridge. Yeah. yeah, I walk away from that in my laptop bag. There's a little medallion that I have I can pull out right now of that uh, is from that. Um, every time I go through a friggin' airport security, they peel my laptop bag over and they're like, "What the hell's in here?" And this is a chunk. Anyway, it's a cool memento. Um, and the people that fly with me all the time, they're like, "Oh, yeah, Max getting his bag screened again because of the damn medallion from the Confederation Bridge." And so, but it's it's, I don't know. You, I got to survey from Pete Yad in New Brunswick and back to do a an as built one year after it was done to see any deformation in it, um, and it was just a amazing project that started my career into like a like a we started this podcast was like how how do i do what these people are doing like this is awesome crazy advanced technology and look what's been built so i mean i was just a peon in the the entire project right little survey assistant that didn't even know what the hell surveying was <laughs> yeah. you, you were the man carrying the rod <laughs> right yep <laughs> So, yeah, um, it's definitely, definitely my monumental project that that uh, opened my eyes to the industry that that started my career. I mean, this is all I've done for forever. That's all I know is how to survey. <laughs> Can you, know, you maybe? Sorry, David. One second. I mean, you're you're really right now. You're working on major transportation projects. So you're working on roads, bridges, that lifeline of uh, that, that lifeline of our infrastructure. Have you seen a lot of upswing in investment? Like, do you actually feel that we're going in the right direction? Uh, speaking for Alberta and British Columbia, yes. Um, there's a lot of money being spent because it's been so long. I mean, there's a 
Deerfoot is the artery that runs north-south through Calgary that you'd be familiar with out here. Um, there's uh, qualifications out now for the teams that are tendering that project to actually fix it because it was <laughs> built. But I, I'm going to probably tell you a lie. In the late 70s, like mid-70s, it was when Deerfoot, you may know more than me on that, Ophir, but long and short, built a long time ago yeah. for a city that they didn't expect to grow to the size that Calgary is right now. So the on-off ramps are just garbage. Um, the other problem is people don't know how to drive in this province, <laughs> but we won't, we won't go there. Um, it, it seems as though every BMW doesn't have a signal light that works. <laughs> <laughs> or they forgot to buy that option when they ordered it. Um, but the, that, that's a major infrastructure project that's going to fix a lot of that stop and go traffic the ring roads that have been built around i mean regina calgary edmonton like the the major cities um and they're not stopping i mean even just north of calgary there's a small burb called airdrie it's i don't know not small it's a city um but there's a major interchange going across deerfoot right now east west across deerfoot um five bridges there you're crossing main rail line because it's grown that much that they need better access in and out because up by you know cross iron mills over here um that that interchange is just it, it'll that on-ramp or off-ramp will back up so much so they're finally dealing with that and then there's just the highways and and the volume of traffic cars are getting cheaper they're more accessible to everybody so there's more there's more rubber on the road there's more usage of the road so there's more maintenance um there's more safety conscious people out there now so they're actually putting shoulders on some roads where they were just you know your fog lines sitting there and <laughs> you drop your tires off you're 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 in the rhubarb pretty quick <laughs> you know, but cool. there's definitely spend i mean vertical infrastructure as well we're surveying some of the key major buildings around the city um, of Calgary, uh, working on some in Vancouver. We're working on the Patello Bridge right now uh, because that again is dated infrastructure. It's end of life, right? It's it's 50 years old and it's in essence cheaper to put a new bridge up than fix the one that's ready to fall apart. Um, not that bad, <laughs> but it, it's, uh, you know, the bridges alone, um, they're, they're old whether it's just a rehab job or a replacement job um, throughout the country of Canada as a whole. I mean, Jeepers, the province I grew up in, there's some bridges out there that are all creosote-tied. Yeah. Crappy yeah. little bridges across little streams, right? And the Green Gables bridges. 10-4, huh. yeah. <laughs> so just so, for everyone's context, PEI is a very small island. I think you can traverse it in two hours, tip to tip. Am I correct? Yeah, three and a quarter, yeah. Oh, three and a quarter. Uh, two if yeah. you're driving like an Israeli, but we're not going to talk about <laughs> right. it. Right. Okay, yeah. but three and a quarter, tip to tip. And it is such a fantastic place. It's, it's green all the way in the center. It has a lot of agriculture. And there's one, there's, well, the capital is Charlottetown, a really fantastic city. A lot of tourism goes there as well, a lot of cruise ships. And it's really, the, I believe it's called the forefather of Canadian Confederation. Yeah, so that's where Canada came together. So just a little history lesson as well, talking about infrastructure. And speaking about that, 
Stephen, who is that one person who really influenced you in the infrastructure world and really you know, broadened your mind or your, your infrastructure hero, per se? Uh, it was an old boss. Um, he's recently passed away in a collision down in Mexico a couple, wow. couple of years ago. Um, he was... He was my mentor to get me into surveying bridges at the next level. Um, and that's all he'd done in his career. Is, you know, he, had, he had his own earth moving company for a while, but then got into surveying. And, and uh, that was his passion was finding other people that genuinely loved surveying um, to share knowledge, tips, tricks, you know, life experiences. Um, it was phenomenal to learn from him because where I went through school to survey, he went through school of hard knocks. So the methods that he would use were not conventional per se from a textbook. And he understood surveying to the nth degree, like phenomenal, phenomenal history of surveying. But I'm like, how how do you, how do you do that? Like that? I've never thought about it this way. And to have those conversations, he's like, well, why would you do it that way? What what are you doing? And I'm like, explain my way, explain his way, and then you kind of meld those two ideas together to come up with the best way. And that's what I love about the industry now is I'm I'm sharing what I know. Is it the best way? Absolutely not. Maybe it is, but I'm not going to tell you it is. I'll tell you how I would do it but you tell me how you would do it and figure out the best way. And that knowledge sharing came, came from him. It uh, definitely opened my eyes to the way there's so many passionate people in the industry, but there's so few that actually want to go do it. Hmm. That, that's incredible. You know, I've been, I also, you know, I look at the past to see the future at, at all times. I, I try to always learn from what I've done before to really go forward and, and set my course. And you've just solidified what I've always been thinking, that taking different opinions and melding them together and coming up with that conscious collective is really the way. And, you know, Stephen, I'm going to give you a credit where credit is due. You've always been a person with an open mind and always looking at the different things and how to actually work with them. And one of the things I'm going to talk to you about right now is the way how do you receive all that information how do you process that when you're getting thrown new technologies and thinking how am i going to integrate this into my survey world what is your process conversation <laughs> uh, definitely i mean there's so many tools being thrown at us from multiple vendors out there because theirs is the best or theirs is the fastest or theirs is whatever cliche they they've coined for that tool in particular but having grown up in the survey industry to see technology change from i mean jeepers when when we were surveying that confederation bridge we actually partnered with a company from halifax nova scotia that had gps because it was what, what the heck's gps right it was military grade stuff that you know they, they, it controls missiles and oh my gosh you know, <laughs> And so, so to see, you know, a GPS system in, you know, Jeepers, I'm, I'm getting old, 25 years ago, <laughs> um, 
it was it was quite something. And now, I mean, the device I'm talking to you on has a GPS chip in it. Yeah. So to to sit there and analyze it, look at it, see how it incorporates into us or our group or our team or the industry as a whole, um, it's it's a lot of talking amongst your peers to see one, will it actually bring value to the company and two, how much revenue will that bring in because we've got the latest and greatest. Maybe it's not ideal. Um, it, there's, a, there's a lot of conversation that goes on before. I mean, we, we'll put a business case together, present it to the board and have that conversation and explain the whys because it's always why. In terms of your public outreach, what are you doing right now? Are you involved in any committees? Are you involved in any conferences coming up? Are you going to be doing anything to educate uh, high and wide? Or you're now just head down, let's keep on going? A bit of both. Um, we're looking at, well, not looking at, we're actually as much as we can uh, involved with the schools across the country of Canada for um, where, where they actually can get, whether it's a diploma or a degree um, in geomatics. Um, we're definitely involved on that front to educate the kids coming through school. Um, on the initiative side, it's, it's quite, quite uh, the need, as I alluded to earlier. Um, so we're, we're in touch with all the universities and colleges across the country right now and um, had an email late last night about a career fair coming up at the University of New Brunswick in Fredericton where they, they have a geomatics engineering program because there's just not enough people out there to perform, perform the work. So um, I did sit on a, a committee with um, one of the manufacturers of our, our chosen instruments, Trimble um, Navigation Equipment. So they, they manufacture our total stations as well as our GPS, but it was a really neat group um, called Trimble Trusted Advisor Program. And there was, there was you know, a dozen of us from around the world. There was myself from Canada. There was a guy from the east and west of the United States. There was a guy from uh, Scotland, uh, Sweden, two guys from each side of Australia, uh, Chile. Uh, I mean, there was we would sit in the room and Trimble as the manufacturer would sit there and say, Hey, what's, what's next? What do you guys need? So we would sit down with the developers straight from scratch and, you know, we'd, we'd always meet at their headquarters in Denver, you know, closed doors, black boxes and, and kind of work with them, whether it was software or hardware related. And then after it's actually developed, um, they deploy it out to, to us around the world to beat the snot out of it, for lack of a better term, <laughs> test it. Um, you've got climates in, in Australia that's 50 Celsius above. You've got climates in Canada that's minus 40 oh, Celsius. Hang on, hang on. You also have 50 Celsius above in Linton, BC before it burns down. <laughs> <laughs> so so it, it was really neat on that front to put the equipment through the paces, the software through the paces. Um, that was, that was a cool initiative that, uh, I was involved in over my career. It was really neat to, to see it on the forefront and, 
and put it through the paces. But yeah, our, our biggest initiative now to answer your question in a long-winded fashion is uh, is recruitment. So uh, trying to trying to build the future of the company through, uh, through educational process. I know this. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna revert back to something you said before. You said that surveyors are like uh, sugar cubes. You know, they melt right. in the uh, in the rain with yeah. climate change and what's going on do you find you have more actionable survey days versus less or how do you find that right now um no i it it doesn't affect us um because the job must go on as the you know the mail must be delivered <laughs> uh, it's uh i i don't i don't know of any days where i think Last winter, maybe we had a couple of days where it was too cold. Um, for the, our biggest problem is is our batteries. Um, of course, when when it's minus forty five, you're you don't want to go to work to begin with, <laughs> but your instruments definitely don't want to go to work at minus forty five. Your batteries freeze up so fast, and you're cycling through batteries. You're not getting anything accomplished. Um, but to answer your question with respect to how many days. I, I could report back, but it's not much. Um, this summer, we haven't had much friggin' rain, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, it's been really hot and dry. You know, so um, to, to expand on that, this year has been a, a very a very big year of extremes. Uh, right. Extreme weather is going from a minus 50 for weeks on end in, uh, in, the, in, in the prairies to Dallas, Texas, getting a massive snowstorm. To Linton, BC, 50 degrees for three days. Being the hottest place on earth for three consecutive days was in BC, which is yeah. incredible. Unreal. It's just such a a massive, massive thing. And uh, you know, we, we, the environment's changing. We're adapting going forward. And I'm really, really happy to say that uh, you know people like you who are leading the industry will adapt, overcome, and uh, and achieve. So you know, you guys are going to thrive in this industry. And I, I'm glad to see people like yourself, Stephen, in the industry, David, and all the progressive thinkers. And this is really what our webcast is about here. It's about candid conversations with the industry leaders. And Stephen, uh, you know, I, I consider you an industry leader. One last question. What was the most fun you had at any conference? You know, just that one thing that stands out, just a good time at work. I'm pretty sure it involves you and I in Vancouver. <laughs> uh, we, we can't say that joke right now because it's a PC nope. joke. But uh... don't, don't say that joke. Don't say that joke. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, uh, you know, our, our hour has come to an end. Uh, Stephen, I really appreciate it. On behalf of myself and all 4M and also, you know, the, uh, the candid conversations with our industry leaders, I do appreciate you taking this conversation. David, do you have anything else you want to add? No, I just say uh, it's been really insightful, Stephen. Uh, and uh, I feel I really hope that uh, we continue this uh, uh, sequence of amazing guests. So, uh, yeah. yeah. So it's been getting better every time. So there yeah. we go. Uh, Stephen, thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Um, and uh, thank you all, to all our listeners for uh, joining us today. So have a great evening. Yeah. With infrastructure professionals. Stephen. Yeah. Uh, Stephen by the way, Stephen, you want to give us uh, 
your email address where you can be reached? Yeah. Or like, what's the best way to find you? I guess as uh, well. Oh, uh, I'll, I can, I can shoot it to you. Okay. It's, it's, it's it's LinkedIn. We'll put a link in, uh, link in the comments. So and that's yeah. S Macaulay, S M A C A U L A Y at G R S dot C A. There we go. There are not too Macaulay, many Macaulay like it's on my back. <laughs> danger, danger is sweet. That's what it says underneath. That's my family motto. So, awesome. all right, all right. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. I appreciate it. Awesome.